Jesus is going to share with us in Luke chapter 13 some things that are really politically incorrect in this day and age. Uh, Jesus can share some things that are very explosive and highly controversial, not only today, but back in the first century uh, in his ministry. Um, and I want this passage to um, help us to seriously evaluate our relationship with the Lord. Because there's going to be an individual ask Jesus a question. Uh, the question is, Jesus, are only a few going to be saved? And in asking that question, there was an assumption on this person's part that they were saved, that they were in. And Jesus is telling all of us today, church, don't assume. These are the ones who are in, and these are the ones who are out. And there are consequences for being out. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at Jesus' words. We're in chapter 13, verses 22 through 35 this morning. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, I shared this a couple weeks ago that um, there's about six months left in Jesus' ministry before he's going to be crucified. And, uh, and so he is heading towards Jerusalem and ministering along the way. And in verse 23, it says, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and taught in our and you taught in our streets. But but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to truth and we would seriously evaluate where we're at in our relationship with you. Do we truly stand within the door in the kingdom of God? Or are we outside that door? Help us to be honest. Help us to take the appropriate steps to ensure, Jesus, we have that relationship with you. So I pray that you would make my words clear, that your word would be clear, and hearts would be receptive. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to be answering three questions this morning. Uh, The first question is, who's in the kingdom? The second question is, who's not in the kingdom? And then the third question is, what are the consequences of not being in that kingdom? So who's in the kingdom? First, we see in this passage of scripture in verse 24, those who are in the kingdom are those who, who have entered through one door. There's only one door, church, into the kingdom. Now, this flies in the face of atheism and pluralism and universalism. Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture that there is life after death. There is a God. There is a way of salvation. And Jesus is going to show us this morning that he is the door. And the only way we can come into the kingdom, which is the life after this life, is by going through one door. That's God's door. There is only one door. So the atheist is lying when he says there is no God. There is a God and his name is Jesus. And that is the only way to salvation. Not only is the atheist lying, but the pluralist is lying. The pluralist says, oh, there's there's many roads to heaven. You know, we're all on this mountain and we're all taking our own different journey as far as different religions go different faiths, but uh, we're all going up the same mountain. It's a different path, but we're all going to get the same destination at the top. That's pluralism. And Jesus is saying the pluralist is lying. There's only one door to salvation. And then this flies in the face of the universalist as well. Universalist says, oh, God is a God of love. And when we die, we are all going to go to a better place. Because that's God. That's who God is. 
And Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture, no, only those who have entered through the one door. Jesus goes on to say that this one door is narrow. Those who go through the one narrow door. Jesus is saying this takes effort. After the person has asked the question, uh, Jesus is only the few who are saved. He really doesn't answer his question. But he says in the next verse, strive to enter through the narrow door. That word narrow in the Greek is the word agonazomai. Agonazomai. It's where we get our word agony. This is what the word strife means. It means to struggle. It means to go all out. Do your best. Give it your utmost. Make every effort. Try very hard. Jesus is saying those who are in the kingdom strive to enter through the narrow door. This means, friend, it takes effort. It takes hard work. It's not easy. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, pastor, I thought salvation was free. Salvation is a free gift. But As we receive that free gift, guess what? It changes our life. And we want to make effort. We want to live for him. It's not the effort that saves us. If it was effort that saved us, my works, your works, then Jesus died needlessly. No, it requires faith. But the works are the evidence of the salvation. And those who have entered the narrow the, the kingdom of God strive to enter through the narrow door. They're on that narrow path. But it's not the effort that saves. Faith saves. When we talk about faith... It's a journey. And yes, we come to Christ. We receive him by faith. But then we begin to walk with him. And that journey takes effort. Yes, we come by faith. But then there's a responsibility on our part to move our feet. And so what's the first step necessary in entering the kingdom of God? The first step is repentance. And repentance means walking the opposite direction from one from where you once walked. When you come, when you encounter God, when you realize that you are a sinner and you are in need of forgiveness, you begin to change your way of life. You come to to, to, to faith in Christ, Christ in faith, but you in repentance, you begin to walk the opposite way. You don't 
live the way you used to live. You don't live for yourself any longer. You don't live foolishly. You don't live sinfully, carnally. No, you live for God. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You begin to live your life for God. That's the first step is repentance. And then the second step is walk by faith. Walk. There's nowhere in scripture that gives us the impression that we just sit idly by and watch everybody else do everything. We all have an responsibility to serve God. To live for Him. Serving means worship. You want to worship God? You worship God by serving Him. It is a walk by faith. It requires agony. It requires effort. It requires activity. There is a path to follow. Strive to enter through the narrow door. But in this journey... We need to understand, we need to see that it's a journey of relational dependence on Jesus. You don't walk alone. Which brings us to point number two. Who's outside the kingdom? Jesus tells us who's inside the kingdom. Those who have entered through the one narrow door. Who's outside the kingdom? Those who did not get to know Jesus. Look at verse um, 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know you, know where you come from then you will begin to say, hey, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Who's Jesus talking about, talking to here? What's well, a parable? And... He's in he's in Israel, and so he's talking to Jews. What what are Jews like? You know, you look Jews at Jews on the outside, the children of Israel, and and they're basically good people. They do good things. They've got their act together, and you would assume from the outside, hey, these people are in. But Jesus tells uh, these people in this in this parable that I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Now, if you watch their lifestyle, I'm not sure you would come to the conclusion that their works were evil. They were they were okay people, but. You don't have to do, what Jesus is saying here is you don't have to do evil things. Um, evil that, you know, we would define as evil, mean things towards people. 
for your acts to be evil. What's evil in Jesus' eyes? Evil is living a life independent of God. That is just as evil as doing evil things. Here were people who were basically good, but they were living their life as if God wasn't in their equation. And they hear the servant, the, the master, here's the individual knocking at the door. The, the master opens the door and the master says, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Why? Because this individual, hey, they were living a busy life. They were, they were active. I mean, don't you know us? We've ate and we've drank with you. We've listened to you teaching on our streets. We've been busy. But the master says, I don't know you. They were living a life separate from God. They didn't need God. They weren't dependent on him. They were doing their own thing. Those who are outside the kingdom... Standing outside the door are people, probably good people, but living as if God doesn't exist. And so let me ask you a question this morning. What was your life, what was your schedule like this last week? When you got up and you started your day, was God on your mind? Did you live a life of dependence on him? Or would you went to bed that night? Or did you carve out any time? Were you conscientious of him? Or were you living a life as if he wasn't in the equation? This is who Jesus is talking to. And people who are outside the kingdom of God, that's the life they live. This is a real gut check this morning, friend. Jesus doesn't want any of us to assume that we're in. Those who are in strive to enter through the narrow door. There is a relational dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. The mission of our church... Um, Garrett or Ron, can you turn on the air? Maybe turn that on on rather than auto. We need to get some air circulating here. Um, the mission of our church is to know and follow Jesus Christ and make him known to all people. To know and follow. How much time this last week did you get to know Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus says this of himself, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way into the kingdom. And if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to get to know Jesus because Jesus is the door. Jesus is not only the door, Jesus is salvation. He is our only hope. 
You know, when Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple uh, to be dedicated, there was a religious man, elderly religious man, full of the Holy Spirit, looking for the Messiah because God had promised that before he died, he would see the Messiah. And here comes Mary and Joseph with, with Jesus. And this man lays eyes on this baby and he, he declares in John, Luke chapter 2, verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation, God. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our door. And Jesus is our only hope. It's all about a relationship with him. It's not religion. It's striving for him and trusting him and depending on him and knowing him every step of the way. I love what the psalmist says, describing his relationship with the Lord. As the deer panteth before the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Is this the desire of your heart? Are you thirsty for the things of God? Those who are in the kingdom, this is what describes them. Jesus knows them. And they know Jesus. Can we just sing that song? It's been a while since we sang that song. Do you have the words there? Let's sing the song. Let's make this the prayer of our heart. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You my strength, my shield, to you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. Do you long to worship Him? Don't wait till next Sunday to do it. We are to live a life of worship 24-7, but we need to learn to worship Him in the quiet moments alone. I want to give you an application this morning. And I know I'm 12 days late. Typically, people make this commitment to uh, read the Bible um, throughout the year, starting January 1. Well, it's January 12, and I've got a lot of excuses why I haven't uh, presented it to you before now. But uh, this is a two-year plan, okay? If you stick to this plan and you read one Old Testament chapter and one New Testament chapter each day, over the course of two years, you have read the Old Testament once, and the New Testament twice, including the Psalms twice. All right? 
So I know it's January 12th, but you've got two years to catch up, okay? But uh, this reading plan is in your uh, bulletin this morning. If you don't have a reading plan, if you have a reading plan, good for you. But church, we need a we need to discipline ourselves to take time to spend alone with God. I struggle with this. You know what my temptation is when I get up in the morning? My temptation is to go to the computer and look at the emails and the news that I missed over the last eight hours when I was asleep. And I allow that to monopolize the time I could be spending with God. We need to be alone with God. So I just want to encourage you to use this tool if you don't have one. Uh, there's also a book. for the, It's called, the title is For the Love of God. Uh, Kathy sent out a church family update this week, and, and we'll get it on the website as well. But uh, D.A. Carson, he's the seminary president of Trinity Seminary. Um, he's written two, two devotional books based on this reading plan. And we're going to go through volume one uh, this year. But it's an excellent resource of just helping you to understand the chapter that you've read, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so volume one, volume two takes us through the whole Bible over the two-year period. But I encourage you to get volume one. You can you can download that uh, onto a PDF file. It's a PDF file that's free. Uh, you can download it uh, for, onto your Kindle or your iBook. Or you can purchase the book, hard copy, at Bread of Life Bookstore. They have some copies at Bread of Life. So I encourage you to pick up uh, one of these books. It's uh, This book, it's a really good resource. And then I want to encourage... Um, the families with uh, young children. I've come across this resource recently. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it will take children through uh, the entire Bible, helping them to see how Jesus is on every page. And so, moms and dads, if you don't have a devotional tool, a family life, a family devotion plan, this is, this is a great resource it uh, it'll keep the kids' attention. The stories aren't long, but uh, they will thoroughly enjoy you reading these stories to them. And this book is available as well at Bread of Life Bookstore, and I encourage you to pick up one of those copies. But folks, we need to get to know Jesus. Jesus says the door is going to close. The master is going to get up and he's going to close the door. But I have some good news for you. He hasn't closed the door on you yet. If you're breathing, if you're alive today, guess what? You still have opportunity to enter through the one narrow door. And Jesus is saying, repent. Walk by faith, live in relational dependence on me. I am the door and I am the way to salvation. And that brings us to the third question. What is the consequence 
for not knowing Jesus. Here we see in verse 27, the last part says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about hell. My friends, there is a literal hell. Hell isn't a place where you're cast into and when you hit those flames, you are obliterated. That's not how the Bible describes hell. It is a literal place of conscious, eternal torment. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus says. In Matthew, it says it's a place of utter outer darkness. It's not a place where you're going to be able to hang out with your friends and just have a grand old time. You're not even going to be able to see each other. There's just going to be weeping and wailing. And an, an amazing thing about hell is that though in hell, no, you won't be able to see each other, but you will be able to see on the other side. Jesus says those who are cast into hell are going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets fellowshipping with the Lord. For eternity, you're going to be reminded of the opportunity that you had and you rejected. That is hell. Forever and ever. And that's where people go who reject the claims of Christ. And you might be here and you're saying to yourself, that is exactly why I reject Christianity. If God is a God of love, how could he send people to hell? Jesus is so narrow-minded, so exclusive. That's not a God of love. But before you jump to that conclusion, I understand what Jesus says is harsh. What Jesus says... Jesus says that God's wrath awaits those who disagree with him. I mean, those those are hard words. And before you reject Jesus, let me show you Jesus' heart in this passage of Scripture, okay? Jesus has said those words. Those words are... uh, They're explosive. Um, They're politically incorrect. But look at the heart of Jesus who has said these words. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him him, and said, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what awaited him. 
And Jesus says this, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Yeah, all these bad things are going to happen to people who reject Jesus. But Jesus says, I am going to Jerusalem to die. I am going to take upon myself the wrath of God so that people who sin don't have to experience God's wrath. Yes, hell awaits those who reject Jesus, but Jesus is purposefully going to hell. This is why he or going to, going to Jerusalem. This is why he was born. This isn't plan B in God's eyes. This is plan A. All along, Jesus was born to die so that we don't have to. Jesus says these hard things. But Jesus goes and does the epitome, the pinnacle of what love is by dying in our place, taking the death, taking the wrath of God upon himself that we deserved. He said, I'll do it for you. So that you can be with me in the kingdom of heaven. That is Jesus' heart. Yes, he says hard things, but listen to the Savior who's on the other side of the door with his arms wide open, waiting for you, praying that you will trust him, receive him, and strive through the narrow door. That's Jesus. And so, listen to his words. It's in your, I wrote these words in our outline this morning. Think of Jesus saying these words to you. Don't assume that you know me. Strive to depend upon me each and every day. Make a commitment to know me. Through following me. What side of the door are you on? Are you ready to enter the one narrow door? Repent. Tell God that you're wrong for the way you've lived your life. And now begin to live your life for him. Get to know him. He changes lives. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these words. These are not easy words to hear. But thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing uh, the most loving thing possible so that we could have a relationship with you for dying by dying in our place.
My friend, if you're here this morning and you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want a relationship with Him? By faith, tell Him that you believe that He died for your sin. Admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Admit that sin and ask Him to forgive you. Tell Him you believe that three days later He arose from the grave. He's alive, my friend. He conquered sin and death. Now walk that journey of faith in relational dependence on Jesus. Christian, have you been living your life lately as if God doesn't exist or doesn't matter? He does. And he wants you to get to know him. Do your best. Work hard. Make the effort. Take the time to know Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your grace keeping us alive to where we could hear this message this morning and knowing that there's still opportunity for us to go through the one narrow door. Reveal yourself to us in, in powerful ways as we spend time with you. In Jesus' name.